The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. It's great to be together. Great to look at the Word of the Lord together. So let's pray. Ask for help. Father, you're a speaking God, and we, we long to hear your voice. And the way you reveal yourself, Lord, is through your Word. And so we pray that you would speak to us now. Lord, please help me to serve your church well by teaching this faithfully. And Lord, um, let, let this message not just be something cute I put together, but let it be a word from the God who made us, the God who saves us, and let it hit our minds and our hearts so that we can know you, so that we can rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we are continuing our study through the Ten Commandments. This morning, we come to the fourth command, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So as I was pondering this idea, it just seemed to me that out of the Ten Commandments, this one probably feels the most distant and unfamiliar to us. Uh, if you're newer to church or Christianity, you might not even know what this verse is talking about. You might, know what the, you might not know what the Sabbath day is. Or if you grew up in a more traditional church, you might have bad memories of not being able to go outside or ride your bike on Sunday afternoon. And uh, you're probably glad to be done with that. So the command feels distant. But honestly, I, I, think, I don't think most folks give much thought to this command at all. And if they do, they seem to just go, well, whatever, we don't do that anymore. But as we consider this command more deeply, several things begin to stand out. First, it's still a command given by the creator God for the good of his people. So whatever this means, we don't wanna blow it off, right? Number two, this is the first command, did you notice, that's stated in the positive? The others are thou shalt not. Here we go, we have the first command stated as a positive to pursue. So look, there's, there's something good in here for you that you're invited to pursue. Third, this command doesn't just have an explanation. Did you notice that in the text? You get, you get the command in verse eight, and then all the way through 11 is explanation, whereas a lot of commands, it's just the command. This one has not just an explanation, but the lengthiest exclamation of all the commands. So we just see God has reasons for this command, and he wants you to understand them. Fourth, the more you study this command, the more you see how expansive it is. And what I mean by that is, it is referenced and applied in a host of ways all throughout the Old Testament. And then it even extends into the New Testament in amazing ways as well. In fact, as we'll see, this command is a picture of heaven itself. So as distant as this command can feel to us at first glance, it, it may be actually the one our day and age needs most urgently. Because all of us, from young to old, we are in a culture that is anxious, stressed out, burning out. Mental health is a serious issue. We're disconnected from ourselves, from others. Our worship of God tends to be shallow. We have no idea who we are and why, and our hearts long for rest. Doesn't your heart long for rest? And yet we look for it in all the wrong places. And so 
We desperately need actually what God has for us here, desperately. But it does take some explanation. So I wanna see three main things with you. First of all, we'll spend some time thinking about what the command meant for the people of Israel as it was given in the old covenant. But I wanna be particularly interested here in principles to learn regarding the heart of this command. What does it mean? So we'll see what the command meant for Israel and principles of the command. Second, and most wonderfully, we wanna see how this command is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It is. And then we'll think in light of those two first things, we'll think of some of what it means to keep the commandment today for us as Christians. So first of all, some of what the commandment for Israel, principles to learn. We see in verse eight, it begins with remember the Sabbath day. Let's just think about that word remember. What do you think that word means here in context? Sometimes the word remember, we use it to mean recall a fact. And so is that the command? Remember that there is such a thing as a Sabbath day. No. Remembering, this Hebrew word for remember, it more often means remember in order to keep a promise. I remembered a promise that was made and I'm gonna keep it. It's important to me, I'm gonna act upon it. And so if you, if you think, if you realize the Sabbath day here, God is creating this fundamental habit that his people would intentionally rest in him. This fundamental habit that his people would rest in him, you're going to have to work to do that. This is not just gonna happen automatically. You have to remember in order to keep this promise, remember to rest intentionally in God. So that's just showing us this first principle here. The Sabbath day creates a fundamental habit of rest in God for the people of God. Here's something I don't know if we think about very often. Do you think very often about how your habits form you? I mean, we think about making habits or maybe you're aware of some habits, but we, we tend to think we form our habits. Do you realize your habits form you? Oh, yes, they do. Your habits form you. Your, your life has a rhythm and you actually need that as a human, right? And that rhythm, those habits, they're, you're not just making them, they're making you. And so we realize some of these habits that we have, they're good and they enrich us, right? They inform us in good ways or they form us in good ways. But some habits, any of you have any of these? They're not so good and they form you in unhealthy ways. What habit that you, do you have that forms you in an unhealthy way? And take it deeply, what about a habit of how you think about things or a habit of how you feel about things? The narrative you're telling yourself as a habit. And so here God is, God is saying, no, this is a habit you're gonna remember and keep. And it's this habit for the entire community to intentionally rest In him, every week, same day, you rest. So two things to see here about this rest. Number one, rest ceases. That's actually what the word Sabbath means, cease, stop, stop. Stop what? Well, the first thought is six days you shall work, works good, but on the seventh day, what? Stop, stop working, stop. Rest ceases. Quit doing this because as we're gonna see, you're not a slave to it. You're not a slave to this. There should be time for you to heal and recover and enjoy 
Rest ceases, it stops. Second thing rest does, rest depends. It depends. So the reason some of us won't rest is because we think it all depends on us and so we can't rest. And rest actually admits, no, it doesn't depend on me, I depend on him. And so I'm gonna cease so I can rest and depend on the Lord. And you realize as you study this command, a day of rest like this was unheard of in the ancient world. We're used to it, we want two. Some people are saying, let's do three. In the ancient world, this was unheard of. And we remember this command to have a day to rest was given to a group of people who were just saved out of slavery. So what do you think? Do you think the Egyptian taskmasters were, were giving the Israelites a personal day once a week? You know, stop making the bricks. You need some you time, right? That never happened. And the idols of the nations, the cultures of the nations, this was not a value. And so this is just mind-blowing that all of a sudden this God would say, part of you being my people is that I've set you free from slavery. And so you will have this, this pattern, this habit in your life and in the life of the entire community for intentional rest. It's meant to be a stubborn pattern of intentional rest because in a way you're rebelling you realize everybody's always rebelling and everybody's always submitting. I know some of you are like, no, I'm rebelling because of my clothes and I don't obey my parents or I don't know. I wear black leather, however you rebel, whatever. But even then you're submitting. Yes, you are. You're following authorities of the world, right? You're still submitting. Everybody's always rebelling. Everybody's always submitting. The question is, to whom are you submitting? And to whom are you rebelling? When God's people submit to him by intentionally resting in him, we rebel against the slavery of this world. It does not own us. We belong to another. So we see that this was a picture of Israel's freedom. So they're to have this habit of resting in God as a picture of the freedom he has given them. That's the first thing to see, this principle. Second, this habit is to remind them of their creatureliness. Creatureliness, God gives us part of the why of this command. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then he tells you why, some of why, verse 11. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So you see this pattern that God has established in the way he created the world. Did God do work? Yeah, it's good work too, isn't it? Created the heavens and the earth and we look at it and we say, beautiful. And so he works, but then God himself, the eternal God sets aside a day and says, no more work, let's rest. So do you think he did that because he was tired? If the God you serves gets tired, okay, pick a different God. <laughs> this is not this God. He did not rest because he was tired. He rested because he was satisfied. He looked at his work and said, oh yes, it's good. And so there should be a time to be satisfied in the goodness of God's work. And so he sets up aside a day and he makes it holy. 
And so now this is for you as a created being for you to follow that pattern and rest in the goodness of God's work. And part of that rest is realizing you are a created thing. You're created. Our culture has totally forgotten this. We want to invent ourselves, create ourselves. That means we have to rely on ourselves, and that means there will be no rest. To remember the truth of, of Scripture, the truth of the world, that, that you're created, that you have your life derived from someone else. It's so important to remember. You're supposed to make sure you remember this and rest in this. Have you ever asked the question, where do weeks come from? Months come from, right? Ancient civilizations, months come from the lunar calendar, the movement of the rotations of the moon, okay? Years, where do years come from? Solar calendar, right? Why weeks? Weeks are a gift from God for your good so that you can rest in him and remember you're not the creator. You're not the creator. We are to remember our creatureliness. We are not God. So one thing this means about us is we have needs. It's a major difference between you and God. God, no needs. You, you're a bucket of needs, right? <laughs> you are constant needs. Now, I know some of you are very successful in what you do, and we're proud of you, okay? But don't lie to yourself, because here's what my heart does. Here's what your heart probably does, right? We like to pretend that we are sufficient, independent, and especially indispensable. How many of you are indispensable, right? In your world, your community, it would fall apart if you weren't there to uphold all things by the word of your power. Ugh, what a terrible fantasy, what a terrible fantasy. It's terrible because that narrative is a major source for your anxiety. Your heart telling you, it's all on me. And you know you're not up for it. It's as if there's no God in that whole story. And that means you will have no rest. You will have no rest. It's a terrible fantasy. It's also a fantasy because it's not true. Aren't you so happy? Praise God, there's a God and it's not you. What a relief. What a relief. So we humble ourselves a little bit. I'm actually not that independent. I need God. I need others. I'm actually not that sufficient. I'm, I'm quite limited. I have many resources. I need God. I need others. And I am certainly not indispensable. God is indispensable. So remembering this Sabbath day, it helps us live in the real world. This, this habit of intentional rest helps us live in the real world. There's a God, it's not me. And so I'm gonna cease my striving, which is good and which is important, but I'm gonna cease it for a time and a place and a moment, and I'm going to rest in the one who is God and trust in and depend on him. So this first theme, what is it? This habit of rest in God, which is our freedom. 
to rest in him. We're not slaves to the world, we belong to him. This habit of, of remembering our creatureliness and our dependence on the one who is God, realizing we are not. The, th the third thing to see though here is also, the Sabbath prioritizes rest through worship. Rest through worship. The text here says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So, so in some ways, right, our cultural moment is catching up. There's a lot of value on rest, time for, I'm not making fun of it, you time, mental health time, um, getaway time, right? That's a, that's a thing in our culture. I'm not saying it's not, it's not valuable in, in some way, but let's not identify that with Sabbath because Sabbath is rest intentionally for worship. It's to see God. It's to ponder God. So when he says, keep the Sabbath day holy, holiness is, you know, that speaks first of God. He's set apart from his creation. He's morally perfect and every other perfection we could consider. He's holy, he's set apart. And yet in his goodness and his salvation, he names things after himself and brings things to himself. And so they are set apart to him. We are his holy people. We belong to him. And now there's this day this time where it's not just you are holy. It's not just these things are holy. It's not just that this place is holy. It's that there's this time now that is holy. This time that is set apart uniquely to God. Six days you work, go after it. Work is good, go after it. Do it for God's glory. The seventh day, that's holy. That's me. That's my day, God is saying. That's my day. So we, we wanna carry this balance rightly. Is it for your good? Yes, is it for you? No. Is it for you because God loves you and it's for your good? Yes, is it ultimately for you? No, it's for him. It's to glorify him, it's to honor him, it's to worship him, it's to be satisfied in him. So we're to rest in God as we worship him for who he is. And this is essential because the one you most fundamentally rest in is the one you ultimately worship. You are functionally worshiping all the time, the place or source where you think you find your rest. And God is calling us to worship him, which means we find our rest in him. Because consider, consider the flip side. When Israel would not keep the Sabbath and ultimately they wouldn't, they immediately set themselves up for idolatry. They were resting in another God, another source, which ironically ends up having them returning to slavery. And there was no rest. If you won't rest in God, ultimately there will be no rest. Do you hear that? It's a very serious thing to make sure we rest in God. So we, want the, we have this habit, so principles here, we have this for Israel, we have this habit to rest in God. That's our freedom. It reminds them of their creatureliness, their dependence on him, and it prioritizes rest through worship, being satisfied in him. One more principle I want you to see. It offers rest to others. Look at verses eight to 10. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, 
your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner within your gates. Interesting. How many days in a week? Seven, six days lead to the day of rest. How many groups of people in this discussion? Seven. If you will rest in me, your entire community will have rest. It will be a community of rest. And so sometimes we think of rest where it means people serving us. And okay, that's, that's valid. We can, we can give rest. We can receive rest by having people serving us sometimes. But don't confuse that with Sabbath. The reason why we cease the work is so everybody can cease the work. And so there's a justice issue actually in the Sabbath. Who is it that gets to rest? Just the rich people? The powerful people? No, it's every single person. It's even the livestock you would use for work. Everyone ceases and rests. And so here's a way Israel was meant to reflect the image of God. This is amazing. God works on their behalf to save them out of slavery in Egypt, and he saves them to rest. And now as they rest in him, they image and reflect God by offering his rest now to others. And so we see an incredible principle for Sabbath rest. When you really rest in God, you will work so that others can rest in God as well. When you really rest in God, you will work so that others can rest in God as well. And so the flip side of that is when you won't rest in God, you won't give rest to others either. Don't you know this? Here's, here's a confession. Maybe you can relate. Sometimes I feel anxious about the future or things I'm responsible for. And the more anxious I am about things, the less available I am to the people around me to love them. Anyone? Anyone relate? Am I alone? Okay. And so it just, it, it's popping for me right here. The more I rest in God and trust in him and depend on him, the more I'm set free to love and serve people so they can rest and find satisfaction in God as well. The, the less I rest in God, the more I am in slavery to these things and the less available I am to love and serve other people. When you find that you can't love and serve other people, check your rest. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So that's that fourth principle. When we rest in God, we offer rest to others. So let's just try to summarize this again, what we're learning here from this command given to the people of Israel. God is setting up this stubborn habit that they would certainly find their rest in him. And that's their freedom. They're no longer slaves. Number two, this intentional stubborn rest reminds them of their creatureliness. They rely on someone else. He's the one in charge. He's the one who works. We rely on him. Third, this rest especially finds itself in worship where we're satisfied in who God is. We hear him, we fellowship with him, we love him. And then fourth, the, when we rest in God, we're able to provide rest in God to others. Okay? 
Well, now as we, can, as we continue thinking about the people of Israel, we read the rest of the story. Um, how did they do at keeping the Sabbath? They didn't. They wouldn't find their rest in God. And this was so devastating because the, the more you take these ideas into account, you realize that this Sabbath rest, it was not just a day of the week for Israel. It infused their entire lifestyle as a community. So I'll just give you this one paragraph from uh, theologian Michael Horton, just kind of giving us a picture of what the Sabbath theme meant to the lifestyle of Israel. Here's what Michael Horton said. Immediately following the command in Exodus 30 concerning the Sabbath day, God adds a Sabbath for the land every seventh year. Similarly, in the seventh month of each year, the day of atonement is to be observed. Finally, every 50th year is to be a major Sabbath, the year of Jubilee, in which prisoners, slaves, and debtors go free, their debts canceled. This is a picture. Do you realize how much Sabbath is to be infused in the lifestyle of this nation? It's like everything about them is to show we rest in God and we offer rest to others. So this keeping of the Sabbath was meant to be a light to the nations because nobody else had anything like this. The, the gods of the idols of the nations never invite you to rest. They force you to work. And so this was supposed to just infuse all that Israel was. And so here's the irony. As they rejected keeping the Sabbath, they turned to idols. And very soon this nation of rescued slaves was enslaving and oppressing one another. They would not rest in God. They gave no rest to others. Read the prophets, read Ezekiel 20. They're confronting Israel for this. You profane the Sabbath and you're mistreating one another. And so ultimately that leads to exile. Because they would not rest in God, they would have no rest. Incredibly profound. And so Israel, this historic reality of these people who received this covenant through Moses, it becomes a parable for our sinful hearts. Because what happens when you look at the law? This is, this is a piece of the law, right? The law is God's standard for when it means to love him and love one another. And it's, it's the transcendent standard over all cultures and people, over what right and wrong is all about. And when you look at the law honestly, and here's the command, rest in God alone all the time. Make a habit of that, pursue that, and then in that, offer rest in love to others. And that's his law. And we look at Israel and we see they didn't keep it. And now, do we dare? We look at our own hearts. And we're supposed to see there in the historical reality of Israel, that's a parable for your heart and my heart. And so we hear, we hear, we confess our sin, right? I have not rested in God. I've put myself in his place. And I've not loved my neighbor as myself or given them the rest he wants me to give. I've been selfish, prideful, and demanding. So now what do we do when we realize we've broken the law? We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. And here we see how he fulfills the law. And never is that so beautiful than in the fourth commandment. Of course, one thing to see is just as the eternal son of God, Jesus Christ, becomes human, takes flesh upon himself, lives a real human life, he always kept the Sabbath. Luke especially will give you little nuggets like this, Luke 4, 16. 
Jesus came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to synagogue on the Sabbath day. So what did Jesus do on the Sabbath day? He went to church. He kept the Sabbath. Do you think he was ever busy? Yes. He went. He, he honored the Sabbath. He honored it in his just normal daily obedience. But far more than that, we want to see how he offered rest to others. And you know, ironically, this was a huge confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. So the religious leaders of Jesus' day saw how their forebearers broke the Sabbath command so desperately, and it led to their demise as a people. They saw that. And so they wanted, right, especially the Pharisees, they wanted purity in keeping the law. And so if we're gonna keep the law, here's a genius idea, right? Let's make extra laws. And so if we keep those extra laws, then we won't break the actual law. It's like a shock absorber for obedience, okay? And of course it's poison because you're adding to God's word. We call it legalism. Have you ever been in a legalistic legalistic church? Or have you ever caught yourself in legalism yourself, adding commands? Because ultimately when you add commands, I don't care how good your motive was, it becomes a burden, a burden you can't keep. So, so one of my favorite, I think this is true, you know, that the Pharisees would say, you can't spit in the dirt on the Sabbath day. Why? Because it's like you're irrigating the land, you're farming, you're working. Stop working. So let me show you just a picture of this story here where the Pharisees are gonna want to kill Jesus because they say he's not keeping the Sabbath. But as we'll see, he's absolutely keeping the Sabbath. He's fulfilling the Sabbath. He's just not keeping their legalistic rules about the Sabbath. So watch this, this is in Mark 3. We're thinking about how Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath, especially in offering rest to others. Mark 3, verse one. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. So you, you just imagine this guy and, and he's not allowed to do some of the liturgy, liturgical things they would do. You would raise your arms sometimes and he can't do it, his arm is withered. He needs rest. He needs healing, he needs to be restored. But then this verse just ah, blows my mind. And they watch Jesus, verse two, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. And then what would you imagine that next phrase would be? Because if he heals on the Sabbath, he's God and we should worship him. <laughs> no. We wanna see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Wow, can we fall in love with our legalistic traditions. Be careful. Look at verse three. But Jesus says to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Now we should know this already because we saw it in the fourth principle. When you rest in God, you work to offer rest to others. It's in the law. What was their answer? They don't have an answer. Crickets. And he looked around them. Look at Jesus here. He looked around them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. 
that people could so twist the idea of rest in God. These religious leaders are not resting in God. They're showing that in the rejection of what the law actually said. They're showing that in their lack of compassion, this man actually in need of rest. And mostly they're showing in their their rejection of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says right there on the Sabbath, he says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. That's Jesus keeping the Sabbath. He rested in God and he gave rest to others. And now this man is able to rejoice and be satisfied in God and his goodness and his liberation. That's the Sabbath. And then verse six, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians, two groups of people that hated each other against Jesus, how to destroy him. Gosh, what is that? Well, here's what it is, because in part of what Jesus had previously said, look at Mark 2, 27. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. That's explosive. Number one, that's a claim to be God. That's my Sabbath, I made it. Number two, I'm king of it. I'm the one who makes the rules. I'm the one who tells you how to do it. And number three, and it's absolutely implied is, the only way you're gonna find your rest is if you find it in me. Jesus is saying the only way to discover and live and keep the Sabbath is through faith in and submission to him. Wow. Wow. Jesus himself is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. He is rest. Look at what he says in Matthew 11. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. These, these are some of the most beautiful words in the Bible. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? What's he offering? Rest. Take my yoke upon you. So the idea is here, you were already wearing a yoke, trying to carry the load, trying to be a good person on your own, trying to make it work, trying to be God. And it's killing you. It's wearing you down. You can't wear it. Take that off, Jesus says. Put mine on instead. Learn from me. And look how Jesus describes himself. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. It's incredible. Jesus is telling you his core self, his core, his core desire towards you is gentleness. You know what gentleness is? It's strength totally under control for the good of somebody else. He's soft. He's kind. He's understanding. He's not a legalist. He doesn't love to weigh people down with burdens. He's gentle. He's lowly in heart. That means he's accessible. So if you're sitting in here and part of your burden is, I can't go to Jesus because I've messed it up too much. I'm not good enough. I failed. I didn't meet the standards. All these ways you tried to build rest, find rest in yourself, and you, you realize I can't do it. I've run into the wall. And then you think, well, I can't come to Jesus because I'm not good enough for him. And there's a grain of truth. You're not good enough for him. But what it's missing is the reality that that has nothing to do with it. 
Come to me. I mean, look at this. What's the qualification for you to come to Jesus and have rest? Here's your qualification. This is what you need on your resume. You ready? You need to labor and be heavy laden. Okay. So, so here's your qualification. You've messed it up, screwed it up, and you realize you need him to save you. And that's all you need. Oh, you're, you're, you're perfectly qualified. Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden. Take my yoke on you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And look what he promises. If you'll come to me, you will find rest for your soul. No matter what's going on in your life. Yes, circumstances can be devastating. They can be overwhelming. It's true that happens in this life. But if you have Christ, you can have something all the way down that no matter how awful this gets, you have rest, fundamental rest in Christ. Because you're going to see he's done the work for you. And even this idea of a yoke, right? You get two oxen pulling it, whatever it is they pull. I'm a farmer, can you tell, right? You got two oxen pulling this thing. Okay, they're pulling it. But the idea is Jesus will stand under that thing with you. And who's really carrying the weight? It's like when I got something heavy and Zeke's like, Dad, can I help? And I'm like, sure, help. And he's like, you know, thanks, Zeke. I'm glad you want to help. I'm carrying it. That's me and you with Jesus. He'll carry it. He'll carry it. Yeah, you're on there with him, but his arms around you. He's worked for you. He walks with you. And this is why he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden's light. When you're abiding in Christ, when you're relying on Christ, some of, some of you know this, you're, things that would have just plowed you under, you're making it. You're okay. You're doing it. Because in a way, it's not, it's not up to you. Yes, you're active. Yes, you're obeying. Yes, you care. But he's carrying the weight. Rest. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of rest. And of course, the culmination of the Sabbath rest is found in Jesus' cross and resurrection. Who did the work to make you righteous? Come on, right? On my own, I am not righteous. I've not loved God. I've not loved my neighbor. I've not kept his law. I've, not, I've done what I should not have done. I have not done what I should have done. Jesus did it perfectly. He did work and it was perfect. And through faith in him, you get his righteousness accounted to you. Talk about resting. What do you have to do to be right with the holy God? I trust Jesus. That's it? Yeah, I rest in him. What about justice? What about you deserve what you, what you deserve for all your sin? I'm glad you asked because Jesus didn't just live the perfect life. What else did he do? He died on a cross. He did the work for your forgiveness. It is not unjust for God to forgive you because God poured out the justice of what you deserve on Jesus Christ. And Jesus did the work of carrying that weight on the cross. And we sang about it this morning. What did he say as a final crescendo? It 
is finished. I did it. He did the work. So we rest in him so that we could be forgiven. And of course, he rose from the dead in victory over sin and death. Jesus fulfills the Sabbath. He kept the Sabbath in his life. He atones for our breaking it and he offers it in fullness in himself. The fourth command is a portrait of our need for and the perfection of the person of Jesus Christ. In light of that, how do we keep it? How do we keep it? A few thoughts on that. Well, number one, we're not in the old covenant. We're not in the Mosaic covenant. We're not part of a political theocratic nation state like Israel. And so we realize it won't work to paste all the rules of the Sabbath from the old covenant onto church life today. And we don't need to. I wanna show you this text from Colossians 2, 13 to 17. I'm not gonna unpack it all, but I just want you to see the flow of thought. Look at Colossians 2, 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. That's Jesus. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed all the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Verse 16. Therefore, you see, because of Jesus and what he's done, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. He's the heart of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is found in him. So we're not gonna, we wanna stay away from adding rules the Bible does not add as we live in the light of the new covenant. But there are some essential principles that we would be fools to ignore. So I'm gonna give you some principles I think are essential for us keeping the Sabbath as Christians who belong to Christ. Number one, by faith, rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone on your behalf to make you right with God. I hope that was clear. Let's make it more clear. If somebody asks you, when you die and you stand before God, are you gonna be right with him? Why or why not? What does your heart say? I hope the first thought of your heart is not, well, I was a nice person. God help you. You comparing yourself with the jerk of a neighbor down the street is not the standard he will use. He's going to use his laws revealed in his word. And it's perfect. And it's perfect. And as you're thinking, some of you, if you're thinking about being a Christian, this is a hard road on the way to the treasure, okay? Is because God will humble you. And things you relied on for your goodness, for your qualifications, to be good enough, to make it enough, he will, he will knock those out. And, and for a little bit, you'll actually feel kind of naked and vulnerable and helpless. And you're wondering, what do I have to stand on? And what God is doing there as he saves you is he's, is he's showing you, you have nothing to stand on except for the person of Jesus and he's enough. And so there's this demand that we keep the Sabbath by looking to Christ alone to make us right with God. Let me give you one picture of this, Romans 4.4. 4. This is amazing language. 
Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And, and you understand that. You go to work, you do your job, your boss pays you. Are you like, thank you so much for your grace? You might say thank you because you're a polite person, but you're owed that because you did the work. That's wonderful for your job. It's terrible for salvation. Because <laughs> if you say, God, give me what I deserve, you, you'll feel the heat of hell sweeping towards you. And they'll be, hold on, I don't want what I deserve. Look at verse five. To the one who, what's that next phrase? Does not work. To the one who does not work, but what? believes in him who justifies the ungodly. He takes the ungodly and counts them perfectly righteous when they did no work. How can this be? Because Jesus did the work for you. That's how full this is. That's how powerful this is. You trust yourself to Jesus Christ, you're counted as righteous. You say, I'm not good enough, I haven't done enough work. Yep, praise Jesus, he did it. He did it. That's, that's the Sabbath rest. Start there. Okay, number two. Because you rest in God through Jesus Christ then, be stubborn about forming habits of ceasing from your labor and intentionally resting in him. Set aside time to rest in God through Jesus Christ. That's what, this, that's what the Sabbath implies, right? Set aside time. You read through the New Testament, you realize Christians start meeting for worship, right? All these, all these new Christians, they were ethnic Jews. And when do they meet for worship? They meet on Saturday, they meet on the Sabbath. And then all of a sudden, this, this group of ethnic Jews, they're like, we meet on Sunday now. And they call it the Lord's Day. Why would they do that? And this is really one of the arguments for the historical reality of the resurrection. Scholars would say, what on earth would take a band of religious Jews when they've been worshiping for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years on Saturday, and then all of a sudden they're like, nope, Sunday. What on earth would, would cause them to do this? Do you know the answer? Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. It's the first day now. And th this is fascinating to me. Think about it. In the old covenant, the week looked to the day of rest. In the new covenant, the, the week starts from the day of rest. We have our rest in Christ. That gives us strength for the week to come. Today, right now, this is the first day of the week. And so then this principle then is, it is what it is. Meet with other believers on the Lord's day. It's a New Testament principle. Meet with other believers on the Lord's day. This is what encourages and continues your faith. Look at Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hope in Christ, for he who promises faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. 
as is the habit of some, but are encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So right now, friends, we are keeping the Sabbath principle as we make this habit to rest in God through Jesus Christ with our local church. It's part of how we keep the Sabbath principle. Another way to set aside time to keep the Sabbath principle, I just want to ask you about your day. I'm not going to make it through my day if I don't set aside time to have a little bit of Sabbath reading the Bible and praying in the morning. And my family needs some time every once in a while where we cease. Cease what? Yes. (laughs) Cease and spend time to hear God's word and rest in him together. And so remember, we're not gonna make legalistic rules about the whole day here on the Sabbath, but there's absolutely a principle that there should be time in your life that is holy to the Lord. And you are stubborn about your habit to be with him and rest in him with your local church. Yes, on your own. Yes, with people who are close to you. Yes, that's part of how we keep the Sabbath. So trust Christ habits of setting aside time. Three, I just want to say, pursue wisdom for habits of ceasing. <laughs> what do you mean, Matt? Well, I don't want to be legalistic. I'm not, I don't want to try to tell you how to live your life. But this Sabbath principle of the idea of ceasing so that you can rest in God and ponder God, do you think there should be a time when you cease looking at your phone? Do you think there should be a time when you cease looking at social media. And if you're like, yeah, but I can't, I just want you to realize you're a slave. And isn't our cultural moment kind of enslaved by these things? And it gets in. And and don't some of these things actually corrupt our rest in God? Some of you need to ask yourself when you're gonna cease looking at news. I'm not saying don't be informed. The Sabbath day doesn't say quit working, rest the whole week. No, but it says at some point you need to cease because tell me that a constant connection with social media and the news of everything that's horrible and wrong all the time, tell me that does not corrupt your rest in God. It does. When are you gonna say no more for a moment, no more? I'm gonna cease so I can ponder God and his sovereignty and his salvation. Because again, it's a sign of your freedom. This world doesn't own you. It doesn't own you. You belong to the Lord who calls you to rest. So pursue habits of ceasing. And yes, sometimes it's ceasing your serving. It's a, you know, uh, let's, let's meld these next things together, okay? As you rest in God, obviously work to give that rest to others right? That is your Sabbath rest. So if you got here early to serve today, that's your Sabbath rest because you're resting in God and you're giving rest to others. As we worship here today, there's nursery workers right here doing Sabbath right now, even as they're working. Why? Because they're letting some of you rest in God this morning for a little bit. Those of you who give of your finances to the church, Only a few people see and know it, but you you make things go. That's Sabbath. 
Because as you rest in God and trust him financially and give those finances and enable church to happen, you're enabling other people's rest in God. So we could go on and on. Isn't forgiveness rest in God? It's the Sabbath. Because you trust in God's work for you, you're forgiven. And now what do you offer to somebody else? I'm gonna set them free from my need to get revenge. It's Sabbath. As you work to rest in God, work to give that rest to others. You know, we did a walk for the water yesterday with World Vision. That's, in a small way, that's Sabbath. Because we're trying to offer the rest of clean water to some people in the world that don't have it, right? When we give to International Justice Mission, that's Sabbath. Why? Because we want to offer rest to 40 million people who are in slavery around the world. So care for the oppressed. Care, mercy to the needy. That is your Sabbath. And you can do it because you can offer rest to them. Because why? Because you rest in him. So just to sum that up, ways we keep the Sabbath. Number one, trust in the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Rest in him. Number two, be stubborn about forming habits to set aside time to rest in God with your church on your own, with those close to you. Number three, have wisdom for how to cease. Sometimes it's good to not show up and take a nap because God is God and you are not. Have wisdom for how to cease. Number four, Offer rest to others because you rest in God. And finally, here's the last point. We'll close with this. Look to the ultimate rest. Look at Hebrews chapter four, verse eight. The author of Hebrews looking back to Joshua, the people of Israel. And he said, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. When is that rest, my friends, ultimately? It's heaven. It's the new heavens, the new earth. Verse 10, for whoever have enter, has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did. Therefore, and here's the irony, let us strive to enter that rest. All the trappings of this world are gonna, gonna work on you so that you won't put your rest in God through Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, you're gonna have to work to rest because you're working on where you put your rest and where you find your rest. And so let's endure in looking to Jesus for our rest. And one day we're gonna enjoy the ultimate rest because we're gonna be with him and with one another forever and ever, amen. Let's pray. Lord, our hearts are restless, as Augustine said, and they won't find their rest until they find their rest in you. So I pray you would teach us today as we've encountered your word, that we would see just the deadly danger of putting our rest in anything other than you, that our hearts would trust Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. We would rest in him to be right with you. And then Lord, we would follow that pattern that he set. We would set aside time to rest in you individually with our families, with our local church, that we would serve one another and offer one another rest because we rest in you. And that ultimately, Lord, we would all reach the final rest together when you come back and we have uh, everything we've always wanted and all our best dreams come true in your face with one another. 
So we thank you for the rest we have. We look forward to the rest we're going to receive. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fofcrc.com.